welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Please be seated. It's great to be here tonight. It's always a privilege to share the Word of God with you. And uh, yes, as Tone mentioned, um, we're basically focusing on some of the crucial events that happened to Jesus in the lead up to his crucifixion. Now, pretty soon we're going to be once again celebrating Easter, and we're going to be looking at his death, burial, and resurrection. But we thought that it would just help our understanding and our appreciation of all that took place if we spend a little bit of time just looking at what Jesus went through. I mean, watching a grand final is great fun, isn't it? But I tell you, it's a little bit better when we know exactly what it took for the teams to get there. And so that's what we're doing right now. We're looking at exactly what it took for Jesus to get there. All the highs, all the lows, all the pain, all the struggles, all the tragedy, all the ins and outs. We're looking at exactly what Jesus went through in those final hours before he died for you and before he died for me. So hence this series. And Tony kicked it off this morning with a great message entitled... Jesus honoured, thank you, one person was here this morning, welcome to the rest of you, new to victory, great to have you, excellent. Jesus was honoured, which was a great message about Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And today is my privilege to continue, and I'll be doing part two, if I can turn my page over without blowing back on me. And my message tonight is called, Dead Man Walking, Jesus Surrenders. Dead Man Walking, Jesus Surrenders. Now, we are calling this series Dead Man Walking, as Tony alluded to at the start, because that's what Jesus was. He was a dead man walking. He came for one purpose and one purpose only, to give his life away. He came to die. He lived to die, to die as a ransom for many, to die for your sins and to die for my sins. And he did it lovingly. He did it willingly. And the Bible even tells me that he did it joyfully. He did it for you and for me. And even though that's such a great blessing for us, there is a flip side to that. Because not only did he die for you and for me, but he also asks that we do the same for him. That us as his followers lay down our lives for him. What a wonderful God we serve. What a loving heavenly father. He wants you and me to die. God is doing his heavenly loving best to kill you. He wants to kill you and he wants to kill me. Now that I've got your attention, let me tell you exactly what I mean by that. I don't mean that God is some sort of weird, narcissistic, bloodthirsty, vengeful being up there waiting just to tear you down. It's not what I mean by that. What I mean is this. We have a loving Heavenly Father that wants to save you, wants to save me, wants to bless me, and wants to pour out his good perfect and pleasing will. But before he can do that, so that he can do that, we need to surrender our lives. We need to give our lives over to him so that he can pour out. That's why Jesus said, those who want to find their lives will lose them. And those who want to lose their lives will find them because Jesus will give you the life that you were meant to live. That life and that life abundant, that life filled with his purpose, filled with the richness of his glory, with incomparably great power to those who believe. That's the life that he wants to give. He wants to restore you. He wants to heal you. 
But there's just one little thing that you've got to do just before he can do that. Just a tiny, tiny little thing. You need to die. You need to die unto yourself. Just a wonderful transaction. Your life, what you call life, for the life that he has planned for you since the beginning of time. Now, Jesus doesn't just ask us to die for him. He doesn't just tell us, right, this is what I want you to do. Die for me. He knows how hard it is. He's up there telling us, look, I know this is almost impossible for you to do. So I'm going to be with you. I'm going to ask you to do it. I'm going to walk through with you. And I'm also going to show you how to die for me. And that's what we're going to focus on tonight. That's what we're going to focus on this series, how Jesus became a dead man walking for you and for me. And tonight we're going to look at a very crucial moment in Jesus' life where he surrenders to the Father. It's, um, it's found in, the, in, uh, in John 18. One. We're just going to read the scripture now. Um, and uh, in, in, prior to dying uh, to himself, this is what is where we find out happens. It says, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden and he and his disciples went into it. One of the things that Jesus clearly demonstrates here is that you cannot lay down your life without the help of others. So remember that you are not alone. That's the first thing I want to focus on. We are looking at how Jesus surrendered. One of the things that we can see here is that he did not surrender his life alone. You need people. He knows you need people. We need people in our world to help us lay down our lives. Here we have Jesus, the God of the new universe, God incarnate, about to face his toughest battle and he chooses not to do it alone. He takes his best mates. He takes his inner circle. One version says that uh, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. He takes his closest, most intimate people with him so that they can watch him, so that they can be with him and watch him as he surrenders his life. He chooses to not do it alone. That The people who saw him being transfigured into glory sometime previously are going to now watch him being transfigured into despair. Jesus is not too proud to ask for help. He's not too self-sufficient. He's not too arrogant. He knows he needs people and he takes his closest and he says, come with me, I need your help. We are being asked to surrender our lives. God asks us to surrender our lives. We cannot do it on our own. We need to employ the company of those around us and ask, ask them to walk with us in this journey of laying down our lives just like Jesus did. We can't be too self-sufficient as well. We can't be too full of ourselves. We need to, as Jesus did, ask people to come with us in this journey. And what I want to focus on is how he did it. Because you may be thinking, yes, I know. I know I need the help of people. I know. But let's just look at exactly what Jesus asks them to do. Later, on another account, we hear that uh, Jesus says to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me and pray for me. Now, we know that the disciples let him down in this occasion. But what we need to understand is what Christ was trying to model here for us. He was trying to model for us that we need people on our side and look at what he asks of them. I mean, you may be thinking, okay, I know I need people, but let me ask you if you've done what Jesus has done here. It's a very simple question that I'm going to ask you. 
Have you anyone in your life, in your world right now, who's praying for you? Who you know has got your back spiritually? Who you know is warring with you and for you? We are being called to lay down our lives. And I'm not talking just about spouses. I know husbands and wives, that should be a given. That should be praying for each other, yes. But do you have friends in your life? Friends in your world? Male and female? With whom you have connected with? The Bible tells me that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And there comes a time where we do need to get spiritual. So let me ask you, do you have somebody in your world, in your life right now, who you know has got your back spiritually? Have you, like Jesus, humbled yourself and said, would you pray for me? Would you go to war for me spiritually? Would you pray for me? It would be great if you had somebody praying for you for your whole life, a great mate that could walk through life with you and pray for you and uplift you to the Father. But maybe as you're going through that trial right now or that situation right now, whatever that may be, are you going through it alone, just you and God? Or have you actually got before someone else and said, I need you. I need your company. I need you to war with me and pray with me. I mean, you may be thinking, oh, it's okay. I'm spiritual enough. I'm tough enough. I've been around long enough. It's just me and God. We can walk together. We can sort this out. If that's what you're thinking, congratulations. You've just reached a level that Jesus didn't reach. Because even he realized the importance of having people in his world who went to war with him because that's the way we're designed. Why does it have to happen like that? I don't know. That's just how God intended it, that we lived in fellowship, in communion, togetherness. That's how God has designed it. And that's why Christ is exemplifying here tonight, that you and I walk together and we war with each other. So I urge you tonight, if you know if, you, if you're standing alone right now, if you can't think of one person in your world who is honestly and earnestly and faithfully and lovingly warring on your behalf, having your back spiritually, in prayer for you, interceding for you, for your trial, for your situation, or for your whole life, you need to get one. Jesus did. That's how he surrendered. That's how he laid his life down. He had somebody with him. He had his closest friends around him at that incredible time of need. So we see that he's going to surrender his life and he asks his disciples to join him, number one, but he also asks his disciples to pray for him. But let's see what else he does. I think this is absolutely incredible. The other thing that he does is he is brutally and totally honest with them. He tells them this, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I mean, just picture it. These disciples have been overwhelmed with Jesus for the last three years. They've seen him walk on water, raise the dead, heal leprosy, perform all sorts of miracles, shut the religious people up with his incredible wisdom. He has done all these incredible things. And here he is now going, I am overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Just imagine what the disciples would have been thinking right now, going, man, all right, you're doing a tough Jesus. Uh, wow, that's, that's amazing. You, you who claim to be God, you who claim to be sinless, you who claim to be perfect, you who claim to be the saviour of the world are now telling us that you are overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. But once again, Jesus was not too proud to be honest. And that's something else that we can learn from Christ's response here. With whom are you totally honest with? 
Who knows exactly what you're going through? Or who knows exactly what you go through in life? Do you have someone in your world? What I'm doing here is I'm looking at what Christ did. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to exalt that here tonight. But we need to also learn. We need to also understand what he did and try to walk some of those things out. It's too easy to say, Jesus says, surrender your lives. Let's all do it. Let's look at how he did it. The word of God is so rich in showing us what to do and how to do it. So let me ask you, who do you have in your world that you can share totally with, openly with? I mean, Jesus, once again, wasn't too proud. I mean, he could have, he could have you know, thought he was going to, you know, I don't know, that they were going to think less of him for, for what he was talking about. I mean, you know, this is God saying this, but he didn't care. He was honest with his friends and he said, I am overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Do you have someone in your world that you can be that honest with? It doesn't matter your position. doesn't matter what you've done, what you've achieved, who you are, who you're not. Irrespective of all that, do you have anyone in the world that you can completely open up with and share intimately and openly like Jesus did? I was reading something about R.T. Kendall. He's a wonderful minister and teacher of the word. And uh, he says that a real friend is somebody who knows you inside out and totally, and despite that, still likes you. But then he goes on to say that you're lucky if you find one or two in your life, in your lifetime. But I urge you, this is something that we can learn from, from Jesus here. He asks people to just join him in prayer, to have his back spiritually, to go to war with him. And he also, he's brutally honest with his disciples and tells them exactly how you feel. And I think that's how we can learn. We are called to lay down our lives. We need people in our world that can help us to do that by being honest with them and saying, oh man, this is what I'm feeling right now. This is what I'm thinking. This situation, this relationship, this trial, this place that I'm in. Oh man, if you just knew and you just, just, just vent in all honesty, just vent. We need people like that who are not going to judge us, who are going to help us and who are going to counsel us in the way that we should be counseled. So we are called to lay our lives down. And like Jesus, we need to remember that we can't do it alone. That's why God puts us in a church family where we can find the people who will earnestly pray for us and the people who, will, who we can earnestly confide in as well. So when, you're, when you aim to surrender your life before the living God, just remember that we are not alone. And Christ didn't try to do it alone. So a wonderful example that we can learn from him. Something else that we can learn from his Gethsemane experience is that not only are we not alone, but we're not our own. He goes on to say this, that then he crossed the Kidron Valley. Now this is absolutely crucial because here we have Jesus, the God of the universe, about to face his toughest battle and he chooses to walk in absolute submission to the Father. Despite knowing what he was going to go through, he submits to the Father. Later on, in another account, we read that he says, gets before the Father. He knows what's going to happen. He knows the pain that he's going to experience. And he says, my Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Now, we know that scene. Now, we, we may find that a little bit hard to understand how God could say, you know, Jesus who came to save to save the lost, who knew who, what he came for, could get before the Father and say, in, in that incredible hour, say, oh, Lord, if there's any other way, if there's any, any other way, take it away from me. But what we need to understand is that the sacrifice and the pain had to be real. 
Yes, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. And what he was going to experience was going to be real. And he had a moment where he said, God, if there's any other way, if you can take this from me, then just, just do it. Take this cup from me. And that is crucially important that we understand. When the Bible talks about the cup, it talks about the wrath of God. He was going to have to drink from the wrath of God. He was going to incur the wrath of God for every sin ever committed upon himself. I mean, if I can just give you a, a terrible little illustration here, imagine that being the wrath of God. And the wrath of God was poured out because of sin, because of your sin and because of my sin. So every lie, wrath. Every adulterous thought and action, wrath. Every murder and anger, wrath. Everything that you and I have done has not gone unpunished. God has not let us off the hook. There was wrath and there was anger and there was righteous indignation building up from God and everything we've ever done, it built and it built and it built until it overflowed. And there was this cup filled with wrath, filled with the judgment of God. And Jesus saw that he was going to have to drink from that cup. He was going to have to become the sin that you and I have committed. And he saw that he who was sinless, he who was perfect, he who had enjoyed fellowship with the Father, saw the cup, saw the wrath of God. And for just one moment, for one fleeting moment, he said, God, if there's any other way, I don't want to be separated from you. If there's any other way, I don't want to suffer the wrath that you have the anger that you have, the righteous indignation that you have for the sins of the world. If there's any other way, take it away from me. But then he concludes with, yet not my will, but yours be done. Despite the pain, the sufferings, despite all that he was going to go through, he says, if, if I don't want to drink from this cup. I don't want to drink from, 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 this, from this judgment. I mean, Jesus at that moment saw something that you and I, thankfully, will never see. He saw an eternity and a lifetime outside of God, without God. You and I will never see that because he chose to drink that cup. That's the wrath of God. That's a judgment of God, separation from him, eternal separation from him. And Jesus experienced that for you and for me. That's why at that moment he said, if there's any other way, take it away from you. But then he goes on to say, yet not my will, but yours be done. Because he recognized that he wasn't his own. He recognized that he came for a purpose. So it doesn't matter how insurmountable the thing may be, the trial may be. Just remember that God, that Jesus went before you. And we need to do the same. We may be in a situation that may be difficult for us. But like him... When to get to a place where we say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. That's the example that we need to follow. And I think also if we look really closely, I need a drink now. If we look really close, closely at how he did it, I think there's some wonderful, wonderful keys that we can learn from it as well. I mean, once again, we can see that Jesus is brutally honest, but this time with the Father, before with his disciples and now with the Father. He says, Lord, Father, I can't do this. If there's any other way, take it from me. I mean, that, we, we can learn from that. 
mean, don't kid yourself. God knows you. He knows what you're going through. So don't lie to him. Don't pretend that you're not hurting. Don't pretend that it's just a flesh wound when both your legs have been blown off. Just get before the Father and say, God, I can't do this anymore. This relationship, this job, this place that I'm in, this ministry, I can't do it, Lord. Take it from me. Be honest. Jesus was. We're asked to, to lay down our lives. Let's do it by following his example. Let's get before the Father. Whatever your situation might be, you may have a vice, you may have a sin, you, whatever it might be, appropriate it right now to your situation. What you need to do is get before God if you haven't won the victory over it and say, God, I can't do this. I don't want this. I want out. Get me the heck out of this. I can't do it. Let's be honest with him. But as Jesus did, Let's follow with faith. Let's follow through with, with love. Let's follow through with submission. Let's follow through with surrender. And say, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Whatever the price, whatever the sacrifice. And that leads me to something that's really, really tough to accept from God. I think the second thing that he does, it's as simple as this. But I, I don't think it's something that often a lot of us think about. Once we get brutally honest with God, we also need to accept his nose. God often says no. God says no a lot. I know that's, 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 that's a hard to understand, but he actually says no. I love freaking people out when, uh, when they say to me, oh, I've been praying for this, for this breakthrough. I've been praying for this and for that. I have fasted. I have done all the right things. I've read my Bible. I've spent time with God. I've done all this. And I still can't get this new promotion. I still can't get this new job. I can't get that person. Well, I don't know, what, what am I doing? What am I, does God doesn't love me anymore. What do I need to do? And I just love saying to them, well, maybe God is saying no. Maybe God, like when he said to Jesus, uh, no, you drink from that cup. Maybe he's saying to you, uh, no. Or maybe not now. As a dad, I tell you, I say no more often than I say yes. I just ask my children. They're poor little victims. If I said yes to everything, my seven-year-old son would have driven us here tonight. <laughs> if I said yes to everything. God, God is our Heavenly Father. He knows what's best. And sometimes he will simply say no. And guess what? We need to toughen up and accept it. It's as simple as that. As you get before God, listen to, yes, let's listen to the breakthroughs and, 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 the, and the victory and the glory and the yes and when, and when God comes through. But let's also be, be strong enough and be mature enough to hear his nose and accept his nose. Paul, who wrote a large part of the New Testament, uh, talks about how he once pleaded with God to remove a thorn that he had on his side. And that he pleaded with him three times. And we know the story. When you imagine that, you get, get before God, God, take this Thorn from my side, please, Lord. No response. Lord, take this thing from my side. It's killing me. Lord, please remove it from me. Nothing. A third time. Lord, I can't live with this thing. Take this thorn from me. Remove it. And the whole time, God's up there looking at him going, I hear your prayers. I hear what you're saying. But no. No, Paul. My grace will be sufficient for you. Maybe tonight, maybe there are situations right now where God is saying to you, no. No. My grace will be sufficient for you in this situation. 
in this trial, in this moment? It won't always be no, and it won't be no to everything, but right now, it could be a no. My son, you want me to take this cup away from you right now? No. You want me to remove this situation, this person, this trial, this job, whatever? The answer may be no. And we need to learn to accept God's nose, as Christ did. If we're going to lay down our lives, if we're going to be the dead men and women walking that we need to be, maybe we just need to learn to accept God's nose from time to time. Maybe we need to also accept that God has a greater purpose than just you. I don't know. Maybe God has something else planned. His will, his kingdom, his overall plans and purposes, his worldwide. Maybe, maybe it's not just about, I know that we get sold the gospel often about, you know, it's all about you, your purpose, your promises, your this, your that. But sometimes maybe God has got bigger plans and bigger purposes than just you and what you want. Maybe there are other things that he wants to achieve. I mean, I know that before I became a Christian, I had my, I had my life planned out. Seriously, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I like to have fun and enjoy myself, but I'm very intentional about the things that I want. And uh, I intentionally became an English teacher because I wanted to travel around the world uh, and I wanted to see these many nations and experience all, the, all these cultures. That was exactly what I wanted to do. And uh, at the end of it, I wanted to go back to South America and build a language school. That was my dream. That was my plan. That was my life's ambition. And before I met my wife, when I met my wife, uh, you know, we were falling in love with each other. I mean, understandably so, uh, her, from her point of view, of course. Um, and um, I said to her, look, darling, uh, this, these are my plans. And if we go on any further, uh, you're, you're going to have to understand this is, this is what I want to do. You know, this, this, is, this is me. This is, this is my, what, I, what I really want to do. And she gave me a wonderful Ruth um, answer. She said, where you go, I'll go. So it's, yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? So, but that was my life. That was my plan. I'm still here. <laughs> God had other ideas. God has put other desires in my heart. I, tell you, I lived with this desire for like 30 years. I wasn't even going to get married here. I wanted to get married in Mongolia somewhere with some... No, it's like something. You know, I don't know. I just wanted to travel the world and you know, just, just have fun doing that. <laughs> It's going to say on a llama, but they don't have llamas on Mongolia, do they? In Mongolia. What do they have? You've been to Mongolia. What do they have there? They don't have yaks in Mongolia trying to set me up here. Well, anyway, you get get the idea. God has other plans. And, And God had a bigger purpose than my purpose. That's all I'm trying to say. God might have a bigger purpose than your purpose and your intentions, He might have other ideas. So just as Jesus did, as as he surrendered to his will, maybe we need to do the same and understand that he might have a greater purpose than just us and our intentions and our desires. Something else that can help us, I believe, to accept his nose is that sometimes there will be a cross to bear. There will be be sufferings. There will be trials. There will be afflictions. You might have to walk with an affliction for your entire life. You might have to walk with an affliction for a certain period of your life. There may be a time where there, there will be a trial, where there will be sufferings. There, there will be those moments. And you know what? We just need to, like Jesus, accept them and say, Lord, remove them from me. However, not my will, but yours be done. And those afflictions happen. And my Bible tells me that they happen for one reason and one reason only, for the glory of his name.
that his name may be glorified, that his name may be magnified through that situation, through that affliction, whatever that may be. So maybe it's time to look at that suffering, that cross that we believe we're carrying. And rather than becoming faithless and desperate and thinking that God doesn't love us and thinking that we are outside the will of God and we're not as good as anyone other people, maybe God is saying, I, I actually want you to carry that for now. Maybe he's saying, this, this is you right now. And this is you right now. And it's not for you. It's not, it's not so you can have a little pity party. It's not because, you know, I don't love you. It's not because you've done anything bad. It's because I'm going to reveal my glory through this in my time when it suits me. Maybe God is saying that. Not my will, but yours be done. We're called to surrender our lives. So let's, like Jesus did in this incredible moment, accept his nose and accept absolute and total surrender to him. We are called to lay our lives down. And like Jesus, we need to remember we're not our own. And like Jesus, we need to get real with God, but ultimately submit to him and say, yet not my will, but yours be done. And something else that I think, and this is my final point tonight, that I believe that we can learn from Christ's experience in Gethsemane is that he will bring us home. God himself will bring us home. Once we've gone through all this, whatever home may be, whatever that victory may be, whatever that circumstance may be, God will take us. It says here that on the other side, there was a garden and he and his disciples went into it. Now here, Jesus, though knowing what was about to happen to him, he arises in faith and gets ready to face the situation. One translation actually says that he says, arise for my hour has come. Now he's gone from God, take this from me. God, I can't deal with this to having heard from the Father and having his will being sufficient for him. He gets up in, in, in faith, in strength, in prayer. And he says, right, arise disciples for my hour has come. That's, that's, that's old Greek for let's get it on. Bring it. I don't care what's coming my way. I've got the Father with me. I've got God on my side. And that is the incredible blessing and beauty of living surrendered lives. That when we surrender our lives, it's no longer us, it is now God. God fights on our behalf. God comes in and he reveals and establishes his will, which I will never tire of reminding us that my Bible tells me his will is always good, always perfect and always pleasing, whatever that may end up looking like. So just remember that once you've done all this, surrender your lives. Lay down your lives like Jesus did because God himself will take you home. He will provide. Jesus was filled with a kind of faith that only comes when we know that God is in total and absolute control. God himself will take you home. So like Jesus, I think that there are situations in our world right now in your world and in my world, where we simply need to resolve to go in dead. Let's go in dead. Dead unto ourselves. Let's not do it on our own. Let's remember we're not our own. Our own. And let's remember that He Himself will carry us home with great blessing. I, I think being called to die, is, it's, it's a wonderful thing. I, you know, it sounds, sounds harsh, it sounds like, oh man, what kind of God is this? But when you look at, at, at the benefits and the blessings and what, what Christ went through, what, what God achieved through him, I think it's awesome. I think it's, it's a wonderful thing. You know, you can't get hurt. You can't kill it. You can't hurt a dead person. But a dead person is dead. They're gone. They don't suffer any pain. 
And I think that's something to what we can experience when we die into ourselves. When we walk into that situation as dead men and women, knowing that God will, will have His way. Who cares? Who cares what people say? Who cares what people think? Who cares whether we get that job or not? As long as we've tried our best, you know, God will have His way. I mean, dead people don't hurt. That's just an awesome blessing. That's how God wants us to live. He wants us to be free from that, those pressures, free from those things. The other incredible blessing is that when we're dead and we allow God to come in, He will fight. I don't know if I'm lazy, but I want God to do the fighting. He's a little bit tougher than me, a little bit wiser, a little bit more powerful than I am. And I know that whatever situation I go into, I was God, go before me and you fight on my behalf. I love that. And God will do that. Surrender yourself. Become the, the dead men and women that God has called us to be. And I promise you, God will take over. God will fight for you on your behalf. And then His incredible will will prevail. So just before Tone comes up and concludes for us, I just want to remind you just one final time that like Jesus, we too need to be dead men walking. And from Christ's example in Gethsemane, we can learn how by doing like Christ did and remembering that we're not alone, we're not our own, and He Himself will bring us home. Amen. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.